Hey y'all, welcome to Best Virginia, the podcast where we talk about the fascinating history, culture, and folklore of the wild and wonderful state of West Virginia. You got shot, you got stabbed, you lost everything that you had. There ain't no time to wonder why, but to hang your head and cry, oh no. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Jordan, and this is Best Virginia, the show where we talk about everything West Virginia. So I know it's been a little while, and I appreciate everyone being patient, but I've been working really hard to try to get some good stuff for this season, and I hope you all are pleased with it. I have some really cool interviews, starting with today's interview with Andrew Smith, the curator of the Flatwoods Monster Museum in Sutton, West Virginia. And I'm going to let Andrew explain all about the Flatwoods Monster and all about what he does in just a moment. But first, I want to give a big shout out to all my listeners. You guys mean the world to me, and I couldn't do it without you. You know, I've gotten lots of emails, messages, uh, people have tagged me in some posts, and that means the world to me. Because that is how I get the content for the show, making these connections is how I get into contact with these people to come onto the show. I'm super thankful for everyone involved. I couldn't do it without you. I wouldn't want to do it without you. With that being said, there's still a few open spots for this season. So if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show or has a topic you'd like for me to cover, reach out to me on Facebook and Instagram at Best Virginia Podcast. Or shoot me an email at bestvirginiapodcast at gmail.com. If you're new to the show, welcome to the family. And don't forget to go back and check out some of my older episodes uh, from season one. There's some pretty cool stuff in there. I mean, especially if you're kind of new to this kind of thing. Also, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and review. You know, that that's how we get these shows out there. The more reviews and the more traffic a show has, the more likely it is to pop up on someone else's feed. So please help me do that. Help me get the word out. Tell your friends. Tell your families. And keep listening. That means a lot. I just want to talk about one more thing before I get into my interview with Andrew. And I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but the music you heard at the beginning of the episode is a lot different than last season. There's a good reason for that. In case you didn't notice, I decided to host a little bit of a contest. For this contest, I decided to ask local musicians and bands to submit some music that they would be comfortable with me sharing on the show. And in exchange for that, you know, because they are giving me free music, I decided to offer them an episode on the show so you guys can get to know a little bit about the band too. And I had a few submissions, 
and they were all great. I'd like to start off by saying that. I really enjoyed everything that was out there. Um, some music from an old band called Dog and Gun and Jacob Hanna. With that being said, I had to narrow it down. There had to be a winner, and I decided to choose what you heard in the beginning, and that was Little Warrior by 18 Strings. 18 Strings is a band out of Morgantown, uh, comprised of Andrew Tuck on guitar and vocals, Chris Jones on mandolin and backup vocals, and Greg Thurman on bass. Be sure to check those guys out. Um, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram and Spotify and Apple Music as well, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but I'll be chatting with them in a few weeks, so we'll get to know all about them. Also, I really enjoyed this contest idea. And I, I will say, I'm looking forward to doing it again for next season. So if all things keep going well, if the show keeps growing, I'd like to do this at the beginning of each season. Ask local artists, local musicians to reach out. You know, see if we can work something out and have have some fun with this. Because, you know, the, the computerized music is cool and everything, but it's also boring and kind of against what I'm shooting for with the show. So, you know, uh, getting ahead of myself there, but all in all, I'm real happy with the results. So be sure to show the guys in 18 strings some love. Uh, so I think I'm done with my rants for the beginning of this episode. I'm glad to have you all back. I'm glad to be back. So here's my interview with Andrew. My name's Andrew Smith. Um, I'm the executive director of the uh, Braxton County Convention of Visitors Bureau, and I've been in that position for a little over, actually coming up on eight years now. Um, and I'm also the uh, curator of the Flatwoods Monster Museum, which is a project of the Braxton County Convention of Visitors Bureau and has been for... Um, Oh, approaching two and a half years now we, we've been established. Okay. I saw, uh, I think I saw on the museum's Facebook page where there's some other projects coming up or in the works. Well, those are actually, um, I think I know what you're talking about. I actually shared that from, a, there's a store um, that's just a block down from us called Mountain Laurel Country Store. And we've actually kind of been working closely with them um, in that Really, when it comes to downtown Sutton, there are which is a. I'll back up a little bit for your listeners. You know, I'm in downtown Sutton, which is uh, the county seat of Braxton County, which is where my office is located, and also where the Flatwoods Monster Museum is located. Um, and just down the street is a little store called Mount Laurel Country Store. And there isn't a whole lot of retail shopping in in Sutton, and and specifically uh, on Main Street. Um, so we like to kind of work in tandem because even though we really didn't intend to have retail shopping, when you develop a museum based around a, a you know, an interesting creature, people want to buy t-shirts. So, you know, it's, you have to do it eventually. Um, so, so we do. Um, and, uh, and we, we end up sending business back and forth a lot uh, between the two stores and their store is kind of like a throwback style country store. But their store has, like their building, has a lot of room in it, a lot of area in it that they're not really occupying now. So they're working on developing it. And in that de- in that development, they're wanting to incorporate, I believe, like a cafe of some sort, as well as a West Virginia Bigfoot Museum. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's exactly what I saw. And I think that yeah. kind of stuff is awesome, uh, especially yeah. seeing um, seeing people work together on stuff like that. I think it's really cool. Well, you know, what has been great is with my twisting their arm a little bit has kind of been one of the reasons why they're doing it. And um, whenever I first met the folks that run that place, it was probably 
a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more, like where we form, formally started trying to reach out more together. And um, they saw, you know, how many people were coming through, you know, because of the Monster Museum. And, you know, when we've talked about, you know, different back-end things. So they thought, well, shoot, well, you know, what do, you, do you have any ideas for us, you know, what we might be able to do? And I said, well, I said, I'm noticing a lot. You guys are, you guys do Bigfoot stuff a lot, don't you? And they just started laughing and were like, yeah, you know, we just think it's fun and we're interested in the subject, but more or less just because it's fun. So um, they work with uh, like a, a guy that, car- that carves logs um, into different, you know, things or bears, whatever. And he's been doing Bigfoot for them and, and selling them over there. And they've been selling really well. And in recent years, there's been a lot of um, Bigfoot interest in our area and really in West Virginia as a whole. Um, so they've really embraced that. And they, like I said, they personally have a completely side interest in sort of Bigfoot that, that was completely under, unrelated to their business. Well, once they got to talking to me, they thought, well, maybe we should do something like that. And after sort of talking to them back and forth, um, they thought it might be an interesting idea to have displays in there that talk about like Bigfoot in West Virginia, which evolved into a West Virginia Bigfoot museum. And since there's not anything like that yet, you know, it's an idea that's free and open for the taking. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. And there's a lot, like you said, there's a big following kind of starting to build since people are starting to share stories and and things like that. And there's been several podcasts kind of like mine pop up in the area and in the state that look at stuff like that, I've noticed. There are a lot of really pretty credible Bigfoot stories, um, all things considered. So I I think something like that would do really well and attract a lot of attention and just be really cool. I really look forward to that. Yeah, and speaking of Bigfoot too, funny enough, the other day uh, I was doing a little bit of um, investigating online to make sure that um, that I wasn't missing any sort of reports that have happened in Braxton County because on our website I've actually got a, you know a page dedicated to the, the stories that I know of that have anything to do with um, Bigfoot and um, so as I was digging around I, I didn't find anything new for me but I was just poking around the BFRO website and uh, went to West Virginia and then it broke it down by county and on the BFRO website for our county they actually only have one story listed and I thought, well, I wonder, you know, what counties have like a bunch. And I found a, a few that had a whole lot on there. So um, I thought, well, you know, I bet you there's not a lot of other, you know, CBBs, Convention of Visitors Bureaus, that are really touting a lot of this stuff. And it's unfortunate because really when it comes to CBBs that promote this kind of, you know, history in their area, it's pretty much, as far as I know, it's me you know, as far as Braxton County, um, Mason County, where Point Pleasant is located, of course, with Mothman, and um, and also Lewis County, which is uh, where the Lunatic Asylum is located. Oh, and um, I shouldn't leave out, is it Marshall County? It's a, it's one of the upper panhandle counties where the, um, or not the Lunatic Asylum, the uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. So they do a lot of promotion around this sort of stuff. So I've been trying to encourage other CBBs to promote their area using their paranormal slash, you know, cryptid, you know, things that have happened in their area. So I, so I started sending out emails like, hey, check out this link. There's like 15, you know, reports in your county 
And I've gotten a couple responses back from people letting me know that it's something they never even thought about before, it's something they never heard of, and that they were going to look into it. So it's kind of been my goal to transform, uh, you know, how uh, tourism promotion goes in West Virginia and get more people to embrace this stuff to where, you know, maybe one day West Virginia can be the, you know, the paranormal state. So That would be amazing, in my opinion. I'm all about that kind of stuff. And that's actually been one of my goals uh, with this podcast is just to kind of, I know when I first started out, like every, I was telling everyone what my idea was and things like that. And they're like, well, that's going to be really boring. But they were kind of looking at just like the historical side. But, you know, we have, our state has several sides. And a big part of that is the weird side. We have all kinds of paranormal stories, extraterrestrials and cryptids and you know just creepy stuff ghost stories out out the wazoo there's tons of that stuff and i i'm all about it you know i'm, I'm sure i'm sure some of the listeners might not be aware of what we're even talking about when we talk about the flatwoods monster so right. if you don't care to kind of bring us up to speed on what the story of the flatwoods monster actually is yeah not at all um well as far as um you know what the what the public has known about it it all started um on september 12th and 1952 around seven o'clock um there were a group of boys uh playing at the uh, flatwoods elementary school playing on the uh, playground beside of it and they they noticed this bright object come you know streak across the sky and appear to land on a nearby hilltop and uh so a, a group of the boys i don't think all of them that witnessed it but a group of the boys decided um you know they were going to go and check it out since it seemed to land pretty close by and these boys consisted of uh, two brothers, um, Eddie and Fred May, um, and a few of their friends, uh, Neil Nunley, uh, Tommy Heyer, and Ronnie Shaver. So they start heading that direction. And in order to get to this hilltop, they have to go up this road where they will pass um, the May boys home. And uh, they knew that their mother, Kathleen, was home. Um, so they stopped in there and uh, asked her, uh, or told her what they were doing and she decided that she better come along and uh, she also um, got a, a cousin of hers who was visiting a neighbor whose name was Gene Lemon who was uh, uh, Army National Reservist um, so so this group of uh, I think I want to say seven people if I'm counting right um, decided to trek up this hill and uh, in order to get to the top of the hill they have to cross this little piece of farmland where there's a couple fences, um, get on the other side of, of the far end fence, and they're in this path uh, that you could use for like a tractor, you know, but that's pretty much it. But that cuts through the woods, about a five-foot wide path. And as they're walking up this path, they notice this pulsing red light at the top of the hill. And as far as they're concerned, that's whatever they saw come through the sky. Uh, but as they're concentrating on that, um, this smell kind of fills the air around them and it's this sort of metallic um, acrid smell I think some even described it as even almost sulfuric and it was you know it stunk and it uh, irritated their noses their throats their eyes um, and then shortly after that they hear or, or sense movement um, from their left in the, the woods and when they train their one flashlight over toward it, um, there in the woods, apparently floating, was a 10-foot-tall figure um, that had like a, like an ace of spades-shaped 
head that was red with eye, with eyes or eye-like objects that appeared to be either emitting light or reflecting their light, um, but also seemed to be coming toward them fairly quietly, but emitting like a hissing sound. And as you can imagine, they were incredibly frightened, uh, you know, immediately turned tail, run back down the hill, jumping fences the whole way. And when they got back to the house, they called uh, the local sheriff. And uh, But by the time the sheriff and his deputy could come out, it was completely dark, and it was at least an hour later. And um, so they went up on the property, and the light, the pulsating light, was gone. Uh, the figure that appeared in the woods and was coming toward them was gone. Uh, but the only thing still remaining was that smell. Um, the, uh, the sheriff and his deputy could still smell it, although it wasn't near as strong, they could still smell it. But otherwise, uh, as far as I know, there wasn't anything left behind. And at this point, it was completely dark. So they also had a hard time you know, making heads or tails of anything anyhow. Um, but that, that is the crux of the story. And I think the reason why anybody even knows that story today is because there were seven people involved. Um, and Kathleen May was a very good friend of a local, uh, of the local newspaper owner. So I think that might've helped in having her come forward and tell her story and being comfortable with doing it. Um, and then, uh, as a, you know, Ailey Stewart owning the paper, wanted to sell papers, of course, he's going to print it. Um, so that's what made it go so quick, so fast. Um, as a matter of fact, it got on the AP, spread all over the country. And then recently, I was sent a scan from Sweden where the uh, story was retold, translated on September 15th. So just three days after the sighting took place. Oh, well, that's amazing. Uh, just yep. how, you know, how quickly, especially back then, you know, without the internet and without cell phones and, you know, barely even telephones as far as yeah. call, being able to call other countries and for information to travel that far and from, you know, pretty secluded areas from the rest of our, you know, the rest of the country and world. As you were telling that story, um, one of the things, one of the first things that popped into my head was you were talking about the boys they were all kind of playing uh, at the playground and stuff, and some of them went to check that thing out, and some of them didn't. Uh, the first thing that was in my head was I 100% would have been one of the kids that went and checked it out. Yeah, I, I probably would have been too, but I don't know. It depends. If I was feeling lazy that day, I might not have, but you never know. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. if I if I have enough energy to you know play outside and playing ball, hopefully I got enough energy to walk a mile, and or, or actually probably wasn't even a mile. It's probably about a half a mile. Um, but yeah, that's something I often worry about because I do know of at least one person locally who, at least from what I've heard him claim and other people re- retell, that he was on that field and saw that thing, but wasn't one of the kids that went, you know, that actually went up on the field. Okay. Are there anyone that was involved still living and still around today? Oh yeah. Um, Freddie and Ed. Uh, the two the two brothers I mentioned in the story they're both still alive and well. Um, I know Freddie uh, pretty well, and um, I've got to know him pretty well. But he's the only person that I know that was involved in the story. Um, Kathleen May she passed away in two thousand nine, um, well into her nineties. Uh, she lived a very long life. Um, 
Now, everybody else that's involved, I'm not sure. The last time I'd ever heard anything about Ronnie Shaver, that he wasn't doing well, and I believe living in Ohio, but that was probably four years ago. The last anybody that I that I know that I've ever talked to that also knows him uh, was actually a relative of his that still lives nearby. Um, so I don't know his status. I know that uh, Neil Nunley uh, has passed away. Um, and, of course, Gene Lemon, um, he passed away too. Okay. So, I, I, you know, I think that's pretty cool that you've actually been able to meet some of these people, and it just adds credibility to the story and to the museum, you know, to because, you know, sometimes you hear these stories that, of course, they don't gain, uh, gain steam the way this one did, making it across seas and, you know, making it, in, making it into the national news and things. Uh, but a lot of times it's, yeah, my... You know, just campfire stories. My brother had a friend that had a friend that used to live here that told this story or whatever. Yeah. And but to be able to sit down with the people who, you know, where the story originated, you know, that's really cool. That's something that a lot of times you don't get to have as far as some of these bigger stories now that we're looking at seventy years ago. Yeah, I I feel very privileged to have gotten the, to to meet and know uh, Freddie. I imagine so. That's really cool. So what are some explanations for, you know, as far as the the Flatwoods monster, like that story, you know, there's obviously a lot of possibilities that it could have right. been. So what are some of the more popular ones? Well, uh, the, the first one that would spring to mind and would probably be the most, you know, fantastic is that, you know, there's this craft, you know, that, that whatever they saw in the sky was indeed, you know, a, a craft of some sort, presumably alien in nature, you know, landing on a, either landing or crash landing, um, that part's not really, you know, set in stone either, um, you know, on a nearby hill, and then seeing this figure, uh, you know, down from what would have been the, you know, the, uh, the craft. Um, so, you know, the first thing you can jump right to is a 10-foot tall alien of some kind, um, whether it was the an alien himself or a piece of technology or some combo. Um, so that's kind of leading theory number one. And I'll be honest, it's probably because it's the, it's the funnest. I mean, it's, it's probably why that's theory number one. And then, and then it sort of just goes all over the place from there. Um, and you have uh, theories of, you know, some people, not very many people, uh, but some people think that it was a hoax. Um, there was even some diagrams done that would kind of show a possible costume that somebody could have been wearing in the woods that's really entertaining if you ever get a chance to see it. I'm not even sure the best way for you to see it other than here. You know, we have a copy of it here, but like online, I'm not sure where you would see it. Um, but uh, so that's one. Um, but that would have to coincide with some sort of aerial phenomenon that was seen by a lot of people, not just these witnesses. So as far as I'm concerned, that would be a huge coincidence, and I would count that out. Um, and then the second, or the, the third, um, Joe Nickel, who is an avid uh, skeptic, um, he wrote a paper on the Flatwoods Monster many, many years ago, and you can still find it online. And he, he, it was quite an extensive paper that he wrote on it. Um, although I'm pretty sure all of his, uh, you know, all of his um, conclusions and everything all rely on just reading original 
testimony that you could get in like old newspaper clippings and that's it. So I don't think he, it involved interviewing any witnesses. I don't even think it involved coming to the property and like seeing, you know, seeing the actual lay of land. But, but he, his conclusion ended up being um, that he thought it was some sort of misidentified owl um, that happened to coincide with like a falling star sort of situation or meteor. Um, and I think even that's a stretch, having two of those things line up at the same time. Um, and it's also a stretch, for me anyway, that an owl gets turned into a 10-foot creature, but you never know, and he makes some compelling arguments. Um, so I believe that to be the leading skeptic opinion. However, so there's that. And um, I want to think, and then really the only other option left after that is that these people um, experienced or, or had firsthand you know, dealings with some sort of piece of covert um, technology that um, maybe they weren't supposed to see, maybe it was supposed to be some sort of top secret thing, and that's why it doesn't look like anything else that anybody's ever seen. Um, so maybe it was something that started and didn't go anywhere. You know, that's always a possibility. Um, but otherwise, that's about it. Those are the only really four directions you can take it or some blending of, of them. Yeah, right. And, you know, whenever you were kind of naming those off, uh, there was a couple of things that popped into my head. Um, for one, you know, the statement you made about the owl, I, I immediately thought of the Mothman because uh -huh. that was the explanation for that, too. And But, of course, with the Mothman, you had a couple of other things kind of going along with, you know, the appearance. So you had the wings flapping and things like that. Um, yeah. Whereas in this story... The way it's told, it, so it sounds like the figure is moving towards them in a way that's not like a normal, like an owl flying at you and then going upward. Um, right, right. Owls don't uh, just kind of flow. Okay, too, to give Joe Nickel a little bit of credit. If you look up his, if, if anybody interested looks up his article and then looks at the illustration that he drew that sort of um, visually explains, you know, how he thinks the misidentification could have happened. He, he does make a pretty fair point. Um, I'll be honest with you. He, he makes a pretty fair point. Um, I do think it still seems like a stretch, but, you know, an alien invasion, that could be a stretch too. So maybe we're all, you know, we're only dealing with stretches here. But um, but it, he, he makes a pretty fair point. On the face, it doesn't sound like it, but uh, but if you if you read his article, he, he does a pretty good job. You know, he uses explanations and science and rationality and where this is just me talking off the top of my head as you're talking. Um, so absolutely, he's way more credible than I am when it comes to the science down to it. Um, also, one thing that I found in my research with this and with the, um, with the Mothman was, you know, like if you shine a flashlight into the eyes of different animals, they, depending on the animal, they light up different colors. Like when, you, right. when light hits a cat's eyes, it lights up green. And when light hits owl's eyes and bird's eyes, it lights up red, just like the the eyes of Mothman and Flatwoods Monster. So I can I can kind of see that too. Well, the the Flatwoods Monster's eyes were reported to be like a yellow. Oh, okay. Color. Well, never mind then. But but I don't know. I mean, that's a good. That's interesting. I hadn't even really thought about that. Um, I'm trying to think of what do deer's eyes shine yellow? 
I'm I, trying to think of what maybe, you know, what other parallels you could draw. But at least according to uh, Freddie May, uh, the, the caller that he saw, and whenever I say yellow, and I think he would say this too, um, it, it's not even really yellow, yellow, so much as, you know, like the standard, like a standard incandescent bulb that you see, or like a unifier, you know, it has that sort of amber hue. It's not a white light. Um, so I think that's what they, well, at least that's what I believe what, what he says he saw is this sort of ambered, you know, ambered white light. Um, but, you know, again, that could be up in the air too, because I'm, I'm talking to somebody who witnessed something when he was 10 or 11 years old, and now he's in his upper 70s. So, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting, though. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I just assumed that it was red like Mothman's. Uh, but no, that that's really interesting. That kind of makes me want to do a little bit of research on different animals <laughs> to see what color yeah, their yeah, eyes are. One other thing that you that you mentioned was that it might have been some kind of you know you mentioned the word craft in there a couple of times, so yeah. you know that could mean anything. That could that could be like a, a pretty pretty broad term as far as alien or you know a, a man made craft, um, right? And in a lot of my research, and I don't know how much you want to get into this, but Project Blue Book came up. Do you know much about the supposed involvement there? Well, the only thing that I know for sure, and something that I've actually never been able to nail down myself, is I know that J. Allen Hynek, who is the lead investigator in Project Blue Book, Project Blue Book at that time, I know that he did visit this area and talk to witnesses, but I don't know if he was here... Like, I don't know if he was here like a day or two after the sighting happened or if he was following up later. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that. But, um, yeah, I do um, I do know that, that he came and investigated it. And I think that that was one of the few Project Blue Book cases where they didn't come to any sort of definitive explanation. I think they tried to give a couple, you know, like, well, it could have been this, it could have been that, you know, to make people feel calm and like they didn't need to worry about things. But as far as uh, Heineck himself, he never did come to a conclusion that he felt um, uh, that he felt comfortable with or he felt like he could really hang his hat on. Right. According to his son, um, I, I watched an interview with his son where he was talking about the Flatwoods Monster incident and, and said that that was something that his dad thought on a lot. Wow. Yeah, I think that's, that's really... And that gets the gears turning in my head um, just hearing you say that because usually... Situations like that where, you know, the government, whatever your stance is, is trying to protect the public on, you know, either protect them from themselves or from what the government knows. So one one side or the other, there's, you know, there's usually an explanation given and a lot of things said or done to make sure that explanation seems plausible. But so it is kind of interesting that there, you know, there wasn't really a definitive explanation offered there to me that gets my wheels turning it makes me think yeah and i think that could have been for a number of reasons but one that i think of is you know project blue book was a program that went on for several years and the flatwoods monster the investigating of the flatwoods monster was actually really early and it's the program's history so they may not have had like a protocol really lined all the way fleshed out yet you know maybe at some point uh, and this is the way I believe things went. However, I could be wrong. But, you know, at a certain point, the Air Force started leaning pretty hard on Hynek to, to say, no, you you close these. 
like you go to you investigate these cases, but you close them one way or another. Even if you can't come up with the you know, even if you can't come up with something that you'd firmly um, you know stand on, you come up with something that we can present as a final you know end all be all. That way, it shuts us up. And Flatwoods may have been early enough that maybe they wouldn't have seen that as a problem yet. Okay, that's a good point. I guess I didn't really think of it that way, but yeah, that that makes sense because I, I, you know, they won't just go into stuff all willy nilly. They'll have some sort of protocol typically, or or will learn quickly to develop one. Yeah, like oh well, shoot, we thought this would work, but this isn't working, so you're gonna have to change. Right, my my cousin in Sweden just called me up and said that they just read it in the paper. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, with that, I want to kind of get your opinion on extraterrestrials and stuff like that. So, do you think that that could be a viable explanation for the Flatwoods monster? Yes, I do, um, and it's not necessarily because you know I'm an I'm a UFO truther or anything like that. Um, it, to me, it just comes down to sheer, um, you know, numbers and, and probability. Uh, you know, as we explore and figure out, you know, exactly how big the universe is and exactly how many different galaxies and solar systems there are, which is just too many to count, um, it's hard for me to fathom that that we are the only intelligent life that has ever, you know, existed in um you know, in the universe, and it just kind of makes a certain kind of sense to me that something uh, somewhere else has come into existence and has gained enough knowledge to be able to travel. Um, so that, you know, while I wouldn't necessarily bet my life on it, if I had to pick one or the other, um, I think I would go with, you know, odds are that there is intelligent life that didn't originate on this planet i feel like it would have to be pretty high yeah no i i agree with you on that uh and to think that we're the the smartest life form out there that you know some some of us are pretty smart but also that can be a kind of scary thought in my opinion yeah well you know what the fun thing for me is um for me one way or another i'm no matter where if if we end up knowing this in my lifetime um I'm kind of cool one way or the other because it would be cool that there's a whole, you know, that there's all these other sort of people or even just one other kind of being, or, you know, types of being out there. And we discover it someday. That's cool. But I, I think it would even be crazier and maybe even more mind-blowing if somehow we have reached the furthest, you know, that we can go in this galaxy and we don't find one other intelligent life or or even maybe any other life whatsoever, um, and it turns out it's all on Earth, I mean, that would be that'd be pretty incredible. I mean, I'd feel pretty special at that point. So I'm good either way. Yeah, I like that. That, w- that would make us pretty special. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. So have you ever had any experiences or encounters with the Flatwoods Monster? Not with Personally? the Flatwoods Monster, because as far as I know, other than a... I mean, there there are a couple other stories um, in history, actually, that, that would also took place in '52. However, it's harder to it's harder to pin those down, and the credibility of them isn't quite as high. Um, and and I don't really want to. I mean, there are a whole another podcast, but um, 
know, because there's a lot there and they're interesting, but there's not as much to stand on as there is with the original case. But uh, but let's just set all of 1952 aside. I don't know of any other um, instances where anybody has had any encounters with anything that comes close to, you know, meeting the definition of of sort of how the Flatwoods Monster incident was laid out in, you know, September 12th, 1952. However, I, I, I think, although I could be completely wrong, but I feel like for about 20 seconds while driving down the road, sometimes uh, fall of 2019, I could actually find a date if I had to, but it would take me a minute. But um, I was driving to a, a high school football game and the reason why I say 20 seconds is the next day when I drove this, um, the same route, I counted from when I knew I first saw the thing to when I didn't see the thing anymore, and it was 20 seconds. But I'm, I was driving down Route 4 from Gasaway into Sutton, and uh, up in the sky, there's this, you know, at the time, there was this sort of big open part of the sky as the trees sort of parted. I'm going down, going through my way. And it was a really clear day, you know, almost no clouds at all still in the sky, and it was in the evening. Um, and as I'm driving, I see this pretty bright orange dot, for lack of a better word, or ball, that's up in the sky, just sitting in the, in the middle of the sky, doesn't appear to be moving, it appears to be really high up, and I'm just looking at it, and as soon as I first see it, I think, boy, that's a bright star. And then the very next thought is, no, it's still too bright to be a star. I wouldn't be able to see a star yet. So it's not a star. And then I think, oh, well, that's like a commercial aircraft because we have a lot of flyover, you know, our area. So it's a, it's a commercial airplane. And I'm just seeing where it's really getting reflected from the sun. And then I look, you know, the very next thought after that is, well, usually, because I see, I see planes all the time. I think, well, usually I can make out a shape of, a, of the plane in some manner or another, you know, maybe not incredibly well, but it's more it's more defined than just a spot in the sky. Um, and then there's usually contrails or some sort of thing, and it's moving, you know, one direction or another. And this was just setting still. However, the one caveat I give to that is I was driving down the road. So perhaps my ability to discern exactly you know movement might not have been great but whatever it was doing it wasn't doing it very fast so so i'm driving i'm looking at this thing and then after all those thoughts have passed through my head i feel like i got to look at it a second or two longer and it just faded out into nothing wow and and it was almost like like over the period of one or two seconds it was like somebody turned a dial down and this bright ball just turned it turned off but slowly and then once it turned off there wasn't like a dark silhouette left in its place like like if it was a you know conventional aircraft or anything like that and it didn't leave like it didn't go anywhere it just turned off like it just went away um so i have no idea what that was but that's the closest thing to you know anything like the flywoods monster that i've ever experienced oh wow yeah that's a really cool story and I'm trying to make sense of like the the movement and things like that in my mind right now. So, like like you said, it just kind of dimmed down and then kind of disappeared. And so even if it 
in my head, like it would have to be for it to do that. It would have to be going almost the same trajectory as the way you're looking. Right. And it right. through the atmosphere for it to disappear like that without moving one direction. Right. And, but that's another thing that made me wonder if, if from my perspective, it looked like it wasn't moving at all. If it was going directly straight away from me and not only just straight away from me, but I would have to imagine up a little bit in order to sort of go along with my eye line, um, or at least close to that, then it maybe could have been moving and I might not be able to tell. So there's that possibility too. And I didn't see it come into visibility. You know, I just, I turned a corner and as I turned a corner and went into, into this little straight stretch, that's when I first noticed it. Um, so it's not, so I didn't witness it come into, I just witnessed it go out of, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Still though, that's not the directions that planes and things typically move. I, I'm thinking of like if you're watching a car drive straight away, it's going to get smaller and smaller and eventually disappear if there's no, right. even if there's nothing kind of obstructing your view. So in my head, if you're looking at this thing, I mean, it could be sitting still. There's a lot of uh, a lot of accounts where objects and things like that are sitting still in the sky and they either shoot straight up in the air or disappear altogether or, you know, yeah. go one direction really quickly. Um, so that's, it's, you know, it's pretty similar to a lot of other stories in, in, in some of those ways. So that's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly, I mean, it, it, I mean, it didn't ruin my evening or, or scare me or anything like that, but it stuck with me and has stuck with me. And, but the funny thing about it though, and I've, I've talked about this to other people who have claimed to see things, because as you can imagine, this place is just like a magnet for people that have experienced something and a lot of times it's something they've almost never talked about with anybody if it or if it was anybody maybe their spouse or like a parent or a or a uh, like a a child like their child but not really anybody else but people will come here and they'll tell me things um but but anyway um but it stuck with me to the point where um i've thought about it so much that i it's like i've almost got myself convinced that maybe I didn't really see anything. It's like I can't help but to doubt it, and that it was like so close to something that could be normal. I kind of tricked myself into thinking, all oh, that was just normal. But that's uh, the reason why I brought up those other people is, I talk to people, they tell me their story, and I think, that's crazy. How could that any? How could that be anything but whatever you think it is? And whatever it was, it was either they saw a UFO, they saw a ghost, you know, whatever it is, but then it's like they get to tell me this amazingly fantastic story, and then the very next thing that they tell me is what what normal, not weird thing they think it could have been that for me, listening to it, I think, well, there's no way it's that. And, you know, I don't know why you would think it was this com- completely conventional thing, but it's like they've got themselves convinced that, no, it has to be something not that weird. Right. <laughs> and I don't know what that is. But there's something where maybe we just don't like that we saw something, experienced something strange. So we gotta, we gotta figure out what else it could be, so that way we don't have to deal with it. Right, and and there's actually a pretty cool explanation for that. Of what we call schemas, which is our like if you imagine these little boxes in your head, and that's how we define things. And our schemas yeah. grow and change. So if you think about like a kid that's learning what animals are, so like a little infant growing up and then first say their family has a dog 
and they learn, oh, it has four legs and a tail and fur, and it's a dog. So then you're driving down the road, and they see a cow, and they might point and say, dog. But then you say, no, that's a cow because it's bigger, it has spots, it has udders, has horns, whatever. And then they're like, oh, okay. And then they might see a horse and say cow because it's the closest thing to what they know. So eventually your, your boxes, you build more boxes and your boxes get bigger. And so that's how your understanding of the world works. So if you have something that you don't really understand or don't really have a schema for, you put it in the closest thing that you have, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so it's like you either, you either remake those in your head or you live with the ones you have and everything you experience, you just force to fit in them. Right, right. Right. And That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't really ever think about it like that. Yeah, it's, and it's really cool, and it all, but it also makes it really hard to understand things that you don't understand. That's why things that are, like, <laughs> traumatic, that's why, that's why trauma happens is because it's this, you know, earth-shattering thing that is not what it should be. Right. And your brain can't fathom it, so it... You know, it has its reactions to whatever's happening. And also you build, and that kind of goes into, you know, I'll try not to get too much into this because that's not what this is about, but I think it is helpful in understanding this type of stuff. Um, We have what's called neural pathways, which is just kind of these shortcuts between neurons that our brain makes. So like when I see a flower, a certain pathway lights up and I recognize that it's a flower. But if I, you know, if I train myself to call it something different or to look at it a different way, then eventually the more I do that, I'm going to experience it a different way. So if you have seen an airplane 500 times and you see this thing that's kind of similar to an airplane only once, you know, the odds are against it being something other than an airplane. So you're going to just say, oh, it's an airplane. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's kind of the, so it makes sense that exactly what you, you just described all that in a whole different, in a different way. That's why we uh, tend to discount things that could be something other than what we're used to. Because it is hard for us to believe it. Right. And for other people to believe us. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of that, too. It's like, well, I'm getting the sense maybe this person might think I'm crazy. So let's, let's show them how rational I am and that maybe if it's into these boxes, then maybe I'm not crazy now. Right. Huh. It's very fascinating. I'll, I'll have to think about that the next time somebody comes in and tells me a story. I'll try to listen to it through that framework and see what it does. Yeah, do that. That's That'd be interesting. Anything else you want to talk about as far as the Flatwoods Monster and all that stuff goes? The only thing that I'll say that I haven't yet is if anybody's interested in checking out the Flatwoods Monster Museum, we're open seven days a week unless it's like a major holiday, and we spell all that out on our website um, so, you know, stop by and see us sometime if you want more information on the museum, um, or anything Flatwoods Monster related in the area, visit Braxy.com, which I don't think we've talked about in this discussion yet, but Braxy is like the, uh, the cute nickname for the Flatwoods Monster. And, uh, if anybody wants to visit that, it's the, the correct spelling is B-R-A-X-X-I-E.com. I don't know. It's funny. I said the correct spelling of a word that was made up, but <laughs> that's what it is. Um, so if you want more information, check that out or follow us on um, social media at uh, on Instagram or on Facebook. 
at Flatwoods Monster Museum on both uh, platforms. And uh, check us out on uh, YouTube at Braxton WV. So if you just put the at symbol, Braxton WV, you'll see all of our stuff there. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Andrew. And also, one more question I wanted to ask is, do you guys have any, like, events or anything like that coming up? Not coming up. Um, we would like to see some sort of a Flatwoods Monster-related um, event uh, in 2021. But as of right now, we don't know if that's going to be able to be a thing or not. Um, we actually able to we were able to cheat one in uh, 2020 uh, because I just couldn't let an anniversary that landed on a Saturday go by underutilized. So last year we had the not a Flatwoods Monster Movie Festival. <laughs> so I said not because just in case you know somebody says, well, "What is this?" Well, it's not a movie festival. If that's what you're thinking, um, <laughs> but we we were able to. Uh, to get it approved through, uh, you know, the local health department. And we worked in, in a concert with, uh, the elk theater, which is just down the road a little bit, uh, actually up the road rather. And they, so they played some films and we had some vendors. We had access to some outside space where we could get people really far apart while also controlling the traffic going in and out. So, um, so we were able to, to pull that off. Um, but we'd like to be able to do something else like that in 2021, but nothing official yet. But if anybody's interested in something like that, definitely follow us on our social medias that I mentioned earlier, because if something comes up, that's where you'll see it. That's awesome. I'll be keeping an eye out for sure. And so hopefully, you know, next time around, if anything like that happens again, I'll be there for sure. Well, we should we should be able to do something in a limited capacity, you know, in case something unless something you know big comes up or something like that but but I'm, I'm hopeful we just don't have anything set in stone yet and i appreciate you uh talking to us and telling us all about the flatwoods monster man it's yeah no problem i'm happy to be here yeah it's been a pleasure i appreciate it me too you have a great day you too brother this has been another episode of best virginia podcast created and hosted by me jordan mitchell featuring special guest andrew smith and featuring music by 18 strings. As always, thanks for listening.